Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly. Welcome to the latest episode of the Tea and Therapy podcast. At this episode, I am joined by four mothers as we discuss raising our children. I wanted to tell you a little bit about the format for this episode and the previous episode of Tea and Therapy. As you know, Tea and Therapy is designed to address issues related to the community, and I think that the community is very diverse. Providing individuals the opportunity to participate in Tea and Therapy interviews are my opportunity to allow for different voices in the community. So what you're about to hear is the latest segment of Voices in the Community of Tea and Therapy. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Kimberly and welcome to Tea and Therapy. And this month's Tea and Therapy, I am focused on raising our children. And joining me today, I have five mothers who are going to talk about the joys of being mothers, being parents, and sharing a little bit of insight on their children, what it's like raising their children, specifically raising children during this time when we're facing situations related to race concerns in America, and then also looking at concerns that are being impacted by COVID. Uh, joining me today are Sarah, Morgan, Michelle, and Sissy. And uh, taking the time now, so welcome, ladies. Thank you all for being here. And just so that my audience knows, if you all could just do a very brief introduction of yourself, uh, your name, maybe your children's ages, or anything else that you might want to share about yourself. I'll go ahead and start. I'm Sarah. I'm 46. I'm the first time mom of a three-year-old daughter who was adopted from domestic infant program. Um, she's the first kid I have, the only kid I have, the one I, prob- I plan to have. And um, she's um, biracial, multiracial. I'll go next. Um, my name is Morgan. I am a 30-year-old mother of two. I have a 12-year-old and a three-year-old boy, um, both boys, um, and pretty much we're just kind of um, trying to figure out what's going on in the world. Thank you. I'm Lachelle. I have a, I birthed a 13-year-old son. Um, I'm also getting ready to be married, so I'll soon have um, two stepsons. Um, one who is 24 and a younger one who is 12 who is biracial. Hi, my name is Sissy. I am 49 and I have three sons and one daughter. My sons are 30, 26, 17, and my daughter is 14. Thank you all. Thank you. So I'm going to start. Uh, The first question that I have is what do you see are the, if any, challenges or concerns that your children are facing now or that you're facing within your household? or questions that you may have? Large part will be ultimately simply adjusting. Um, trying to uh, pretty much go with the flow of things, but at the same time maintaining that stability that we've all had. Um, and with school shutting down and, and things not going as it normally should, um, a lot of things are kind of getting addressed on a rolling basis. We don't have um, a precedent for us to be able to go off of. So um, a lot of things are, are a lot sh- more stressful than they probably should be at this point. 
Okay. Same thing for me. Um, it's just really different. So we're doing um, at-home schooling. Um, so I never wanted to be a teacher. I never wanted to homeschool. And uh, I'm doing that now. And just, he's older, he's a teenager, so he can kind of do things on his own, but still it's different because I have to reinforce things in a different way because he's not in that school setting and he's the only kid, so he's not getting that social aspect that school provides for him. Um, so things are just really, really different um, with COVID. And then even having those conversations constantly about COVID, about race, about politics, it's an ongoing conversation in our household. Um, so with him being older, he has a cell phone, so he sees the news. Um, so he sees stuff before I see stuff sometimes. So it's just really, it's just different. Um, I never thought we would be here, but we are. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. Um, my, my children are biracial and my son that is 17, he's a senior, um, in high school. And last year he, he runs track last year, his, um, track season was cut short with COVID and he was relying a lot on, um, scholarships like from. So he missed out on, he, he actually is very, he's very good. Um, and he missed out a lot on not being able to be seen with the COVID by um, college recruiters. He's very worried about that, but his academics um, are very high. So he's very concerned about keeping his academics up, the concern of getting into colleges. Um, what is college gonna look like for him next year? What is, recruitment going to look like for him um he definitely wanted to go back to school in person there was no that was not a question for him he takes um both my kids are in accelerated programs with um that are in school so they it was they both needed to get back to school face to face um, my son that's the senior takes dual credit so yes he needed to get back to school but it um it is a worry for him what is this going to do to his academics and what is his college going to look like next year and my daughter that is in the eighth grade she it's very confusing mess being back in school because nothing is really the same her you know of course the show, she's into social what half her half her friends are not there but she's they are worried about you know a lot of different things and it's nothing seems to be the same for her um, and it's caused her a lot of anxiety and she had a lot of anxiety last year um, with her identity itself being a biracial um, and sh child she had a lot of identity issues last year and she actually didn't want to go to school but I kind of made her go back to school um, she would probably rather stay at home but um and now nothing's the same for her and that really and heightened her anxiety so but yeah i do agree that it's the it's a mess right now with the covid situation happening at school i will say as um only having the one child who is not yet old enough to understand i felt really blessed about that because i've explained it to her very briefly there are germs, we need to stay away from people, but that, you know, I, I feel for people who have to have kids who have kids who have to, to deal with it on kind of a deeper level. 
the only thing, I mean, the only thing I've heard, my daughter was in uh, preschool, for, or rather daycare for six months prior to COVID, um, whereas she had stayed home before that. And um, we only ha we only have to have had to address it once about a month into our uh, isolation. She was laying in bed with me and she said, friends all gone. And I thought, okay, we'll have a discussion about that. And then she dropped it. And, you know, cause I said, oh, what friends do you miss? And then she just didn't continue on with it. So I, I feel like I've kind of gotten the easy end of this in that way because she just doesn't really understand yet. She's missing out on socialization for sure, but she's starting to make up for it because she tries to talk to everybody who walks by her house. So <laughs> I, I was going to ask, you know, like how are your children able to get that extra socialization in? Because I think it's so important, you know, for developing children to have that social social interaction especially those that are, you know, at that middle school, high school period, because that's when identities, interests, you know, Sissy, as you talked about, like your son's future of, okay, these are, this is recruitment time, and this is time for academics, and just having a lot of that increase in anxiety that's coming in. Um, as parents, and most of my work that I do, pretty much all of my work that I do is with adults, as parents, how do you help your children with managing that, those emotions, the anxiety, uh, their concerns that they have? So two questions, how do you help them? And what do we as psychologists, social scientists, what help do we need to be providing with you, for you as well? Largely, I think will be, uh, for the most part, support. Um, because again, this is a learning, a learning situation for everybody. So a lot of us are not able to, you know, kind of translate that as far as our feelings go and as far as our perceptions go, as well as being able to, you know, explain it to younger kids. Now for my 13 year old, it's a little more easier for me to sit, you know, have that conversation and have that support. But for my three year old, it's a little more difficult. Um, I did have him um, out of school, at a daycare for a little bit, um, and the daycare even closed down, but then they have opened back up. We haven't had any cases or any other issues, but from the time that we we did have him, I did have him out of daycare, it was very, very difficult to keep him um, sane, for that matter, um, simply because he has a lot of energy and he has a lot of drive and he likes to do a lot of things. And for us to be able to, you know, quarantine, <laughs> it, uh, it kind of was hard for him to, you know, sit down and, and listen. And there was a lot of conflict going on between him, his older brother, and, and it was just a little more stressful than need be. So with him going back to school and getting that social interaction, they've had the precautions in place and they've had no issues. So for that social aspect, um, for my youngest, it's very important simply because I can provide him with so much support, but he also needs that that younger interaction with younger kids. Um, he needs to be able to share, and his, and his older brother is, you know, obviously becoming a teenager. <laughs> so he's not going to want to sit and play with him, and he's going to want to go off and do his own thing, and then I have things I need to do throughout the day as well. So I feel like it's very, very important for me um, in a supportive manner to be mindful that that aspect of his social um, 
interaction is very important. For my oldest, my oldest is a little more reserved. He's a little more introverted, so he's a little more like me. Um, he's okay with just being at home. He doesn't mind it, but he does have, you know, video games where now he can talk to people and you can hear him in the room and there'll be like six kids in my in my room, but they're all on the game. So he's able to talk with his friends. A lot of them are from school. So he's still able to have that social interaction as well. Um, but on the uh, other side of it, as far as me, I do have that support in which I do still talk to my kids and I do still interact with them um, in the evenings and things of that nature. So support would be a big thing for us to be able to um, move through this with younger and middle-aged kids. So for me, it's, it's so funny. When my son was younger, I was like, no video games until you're 16. <laughs> no. And it has been truly a lifesaver for us because he, as he is also communicating and socializing with his friends um, through the Xbox, um, through the PlayStation. So that's kind of how he socializes. And luckily, um, he has cousins that are really close to his age, same age as him and one just a few years older. Um, so we've actually been able to get them connected um, and stay, you know, socially distanced or socially aware um, just amongst family. Um, so that's how we're able to kind of keep him socially active. It's still not the same as if he's going to school in a classroom full of kids, um, but it's working. And um, as far as support for him, we talk a lot, but he's a, a boy that's going into teenage years, so he talks when he wants to, but when I want him to, he might not necessarily Stop. talk. <laughs> so, so every once in a while, we'll have a conversation, and he'll just blurt out something, and I'm like, oh, well, let's talk about that some more. Uh, <laughs> even when it comes to school, I'm like, okay, so how's it going? He's like, it's school. What did you do today? He said, I learned some things. And I'm like, come on, what did you learn? <laughs> you know, so I'm asking him questions, but he talks when he feels like it. Um, and when something's really bothering him or if he has questions about it, he'll he'll come to me and ask. But luckily when, um, when COVID first started hitting, um, I worked, I was working in pathology at IU Health. And so he heard a lot of the phone calls that I was on, a lot of the meetings that I was on when we were talking about COVID and what was happening. And so that actually prompted him to ask a lot of questions. So we started having really good questions early on because I was privy to more information than most people weren't um, because of just my line of work. Um, so that was cool. And from um, from a support aspects from the from like people like you, Dr. Kimberly, um, I don't know, like, cause I don't I don't have a right answer of what this looks like or what I should or shouldn't be doing. You just kind of go with the flow and try to figure it out as we go. So I think helping parents, you know, know that that's okay. Know that there's no right or wrong answer because people always want to go buy the book or there is no book for this. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's the best support that you can give parents um, is to know that it's okay. Like I, I joke with my son, I'm like, ooh, I'll let you have pizza for breakfast a couple of days. That's a bad <laughs> mommy moment. <laughs> so and, and it's okay to have bad mommy moments, you know? So right. I think encouraging people or parents to know that there, there is no no right parent way to parent um mm -hmm. especially during times like this because it's nobody's ever gone through this before so mm -hmm. i think that's the best support that that you all could give us and i think that's something that i bring to it because i wasn't a parent till i was 43 and i'm literally at the point i mean i i don't even flinch last night we had ice cream for dinner <laughs> <laughs> 
because I had to, you know, I had a bunch of errands to do. I came home late and everybody needed me when I came home. So I had like 16 things to do. And before I even started thinking about dinner, it was almost eight o'clock. And I was like, you want ice cream? Cool. Sit down and get some ice cream. Okay. <laughs> now, mine, uh -huh. of course, we don't do that every day, but bad mommy moments don't even face me. <laughs> so your children are having little spurts of uh, joy in COVID sometimes with the ice cream for dinner and the pizza for breakfast. Okay. Yeah. I do think that it is important that, you know, I tell people also just in, in therapy, so many things are normal and it makes sense. So if your child is experiencing anxiety or depression right now, it makes sense, right? And to let them know that that's okay. I think the main thing is that what they're feeling, that it's, it's normal for them, it makes sense for them, it's real for them. And then to explain that, uh, depression anxiety I think they persist and they get you know worse when we say you know oh don't think that way or kind of push it to the side but I definitely think having those conversations are beneficial one thing that I do recommend uh, when I'm working with parents is even having this sort of family time right that you set aside I said you have like family meetings and they're like well my child's only three and I'm like well make it like okay that's the game time I said it doesn't have to always be okay we have to sit down like this business situation and have these talks I said but you when you start that me time parent time family time early that the children are used to it and so then when they get older be it that they're actually having the conversation or that like Michelle like he just pops and says something at least they know hey there's space for this in my house there's space for me to be able to communicate about this um, and, and, reading. Uh, so and, we, um, before bedtime, he, he'll go get a whole bunch of books, put them on the bed, mm -hmm. and then we'll read right before he goes to bed. So that's mm -hmm. a social interaction that we have incorporated from our day to day. And I also, you know, I, I don't want to speak of it personally unless you want to, but I think also it's important for children to get therapy, right? That there you know there's so much play therapy and even though most therapists are doing telehealth now and they've found ways to engage in that uh, play therapy through telehealth where they're playing games with the children those different types of things but i think play is, is an excellent way to communicate with children uh, and communicating with them on, on the levels that they need to be communicated uh, talked to and then also when you're speaking with your children it's okay to speak with them with from their language you know, if your child's three, you don't want to go in and say, well, you know that actually COVID is this and this, and this but it's like germs bad <laughs> and, and, and to help with that regard. Um, the other question that I have, and some of you have already talked about this, what are your children experiencing outside of, of COVID, but what are they experiencing that you haven't experienced? And I, and I think some of it's obvious because I'm here with, with all women, so some of you have boys, right? So, but what other experiences are you like? I've never had that. I don't. I don't know what that child's going through. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so race has always been a thing, but not in the way that it currently is now. Um, after George Floyd, it had Black Lives Matter. The protests. I haven't lived through anything like this. Um, and my son has to. And so he sees the protest. He sees everything that's going on. He sees not just George, George Floyd, but all of the other cases um, that has happened. And 
because of social media, because of technology, things are so much out there now where things have always been happening, but we just didn't see it. Um, in the 80s, in the 90s, we were aware of things, but it wasn't just blatant in, in our faces um, like mm -hmm. it is now. So he saw the George Floyd video and I didn't. Um, I refused to watch it because I knew I couldn't handle it. Um, so that's something that I, I'd never experienced as a 13 year old um, to see a black man die on video in the hands of police. You heard about those things, but you never watched those things. Um, not like that. And I know Rodney King happened, but I was older when Rodney King happened. I wasn't a, a young person like he is. So um, that is something that, yeah, race has always been around, but it's, it's very different now um, than it was when I grew up. I think technology, the technology that they have nowadays is playing a large part in that because I'm, I'm going to safely assume that me being the youngest, I wasn't privy to a lot of that technology, um, being able to live stream whatever's going on in a city, let alone in the world. So that kind of made a big change from my generation to my son's generation at this point because we didn't have that. I was gonna say the most definitely race issues because of the fact that um, my kids are biracial. They most definitely, you know, the 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 race issue is a, a big challenge. Um, open my eyes to a lot. Um, and technology, I'm like. I knew that girls were mean when I was <laughs> like girls are so mean um, in middle school and it just be it becomes with technology how it is you know how it can be so mean they are so mean now and how it's so easy to be mean to each other with technology um, you know and social media um, talking about my daughter and her struggles you know when her identity um, and where you know where she's told she's not black enough, um, and uh, you know just the 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 tech not, that that is you know I was like gosh girls can be middle school girls can be so mean, um, but yeah and the struggles that my my sons have gone through and the fear I have for them as every day when they walk out the door and when I hear a siren. I, the text that I have to, um, hey, where are you? You know, those, the issues when they were teenagers, um, teenage, so nothing that I went through as a teenager and had to worry about my brothers, you know, those weren't things that my mom had to worry about. Those are things that I have to worry about now is like, your license tag is expired. You need to get that done. You need to get your license tag, you know, no, you need to get that taken care of. You know, they, they, those things that you have to worry about. Um, that my mom probably wouldn't have to worry about as much with her sons being white teenage boys, you know. Um, those are the things that are different, I think. I think that, you know, I appreciate what you said, and I think that's very relevant, and, and definitely race is one of the big issues, and I know that for, you know, inter interracial fam families, interracial children, that it is such a unique experience, and a lot of, I've 
talk to some mothers who are white who are raising biracial or black children and I think that this time has really put a, put up a mirror to so many people to kind of say wow like this, this is different or this is what I've experienced that you know other people don't or I didn't have to think of that to know that you know it's not just that okay I'm, I'm, a, I'm a female raising boys and I haven't done that but wow like you know when I when I think about it in general it's saying that some parents are having to realize in a way what their privileges are that their children don't have the privilege to and then maybe you as a Caucasian person you have extra pain worry concern that maybe your fellow Caucasian friends may not have if they have Caucasian children that you are having um you're having to have the talk that a lot of African-American parents knew that was a given, right? And, and I, I think that that's definitely something that has come up in the community that in a way I'm, I'm thankful for the position that I'm in as a psychologist to be able to present this to people and it's not in a way of, well, how dare you? <laughs> you know, that they are really like, oh my gosh, you're, you're correct. My, my black daughters are having experiences that I never thought of, right? Um, and for parents to be open to that and say, okay, yeah, I need to research things. I need to look at certain things. When you were speaking, two things came up and, you know, anyone can speak on this. So one was like role models, you know, looking at what role models do your children have? What role models do you, you know, wish they had more of? And then also, you know, especially Sissy, when you said that with, with your daughter and people saying, you know, she's not black enough, I'm African-American. I grew up in middle school with people saying I wasn't black enough. And I was like, I don't know why, what am I supposed to be doing, right? So with that, how do you take, is there anything from your childhood experience that you can take and say, okay, I didn't like it when I was going through that, but this has prepared me for this. With my and anyone can chime in on any, any of those role models. I'll chime in to uh, Sissy's daughter. So, like Kimberly said, I grew up and I was too black because of the color of my skin. Um, and then as an adult, I acted like a white girl. Um, so it's like, it's like, okay, so you just have to figure out your identity. And my son has even told me, girls are mean. <laughs> like, in middle school, they are so mean. And he's like, I avoid them. I was like, because I asked him, I'm like, hey, so who do you like? Is there anybody in school you like? He's like, no, I avoid them. <laughs> so um, so I, I do think it's important for a young um a young biracial girl, a young black girl, a young girl, period, to have a role model, um, somebody outside of their parents. Um, because for me, I, my mother would say stuff, but I'm like, whatever, it's my mother. Uh, <laughs> like, she don't know. Um, but I think it's really good for a, a young girl to have somebody just outside, another adult, another uh, older teenager, to let them know that they're we've all experienced it. it girls are mean, they've been mean forever. Um, it's, it's difficult, even if you look just a little different. My son is actually, we live in Brownsburg, 
and he's the only black boy in his classes <laughs> of the time. Um, and he's like, there's a couple of biracial kids, but yeah, that, that's about it. There's about three of us all together. Um, so it, it is having those constant conversations that it's okay for you to be you um, and you can stand out, you can be a leader. You don't have to be like all the other kids. It's, it's okay. Um, so we have those conversations a lot. Um, when he was in, before we moved to Brownsburg, he went to a private school and it was a, a school of, of a lot of affluent um, people in the community. And so he was having all kinds of identity crisis because we, we don't have money like that. <laughs> so he was on scholarship. <laughs> so um, he was really struggling because he was going to school with kids whose parents were lawyers and doctors and they didn't look like him. Um, and so he didn't know who he was. So we, we, we had a lot of conversations, even about homosexuality, because one of his friends um, decided that he was homosexual in the fourth grade. And so early on, we started having a lot of conversations that are difficult um, and that I didn't imagine that I would start having with my kid that, that early. Um, but just letting him know it's okay to be whoever he is. Like it's, it's okay to be different. It's okay for your friend to be homosexual. It's okay for all of us are individuals and it's okay to be an individual. Like we, we've had, we have those conversations all of the time. Yes. I think it's very important that we um, encourage kids to, to define themselves who, what it means to be black or what it means to be um, a girl. For, for a large part of that's who they are, that's going to at least allow them to build that self-esteem. If they're going to go and take what those girls are saying, um, and they take that to heart, they're going to do something to their self-esteem simply because they don't know what the definition is of what it means to be black or what it means to be a woman. So that role model piece will at least allow them a visual outside of school or outside of the home to be able to assimilate to a different definition of what it actually means to be black or what it actually means to be, you know, an adult and be mature and be um, prosperous in this world. We have a lot of kids who are out here lost and who don't have that grooming aspect of growing up and they're just growing up. They're getting older and they're not necessarily mature. So a lot of that piece with the role model will allow other people um, to, to influence kids outside of those areas that they normally are you know, getting those influences wrong. One of the things they talk about um, when you're preparing, well, at least my agency did, when you're preparing for transracial adoption is they say, make sure you have racial mirrors in your life. When you start the paperwork, be aware that you may need to, as a white parent, get out there and intentionally cultivate friendship with, with friendships with, with people of the race that your child will be. And, you know, make sure it's intentional. Make sure that your child doesn't grow up as the only, particularly when you don't have the opportunity, you don't have the experience to provide them with a role model yourself of how to be a black person in the world. Make sure that, you know, and that was something that I was pretty uh, somewhat aware of to a degree because when I, where I grew up, I grew up in a very small town in, the, in Indiana, which was a sundown town in the eighties. And I, grew up there but I had started in the Chicago suburbs and so I was kind of like wait where are all the brown people where are all the black people I don't understand and so I was kind of outcast there because I didn't accept that you know white people were 
the only people who should be around. You know, that white people are the only people who should be listened to, who should be around. And so when I when they said, find yourself some racial mirrors for your child, it was like, well, that makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. But it was something that, you know, I, I hadn't lived in my area for more than a couple of years. And so I had I did have to intentionally seek out um, people that my child would have socialization with. And um, when she came home, I brought her to church. She was about six weeks old. I brought her to church and there was a biracial teenager um, at church at that time, who at the time was identifying female, does not any longer, but, and they said, oh, look, hello, little brown person. You look just like me. And I was like, yes. (laughs) I was so glad that I had, that that was one of her earliest experiences was someone saying, you look just like me. And I was like, yes, yes, she does. Thank you for noticing. So it was just something that I did deliberately have to seek out as a white person because I could very easily stay inside my bubble. I could very easily have raised her to be confused. And that's, I mean, obviously I'm not finished raising her by any stretch, but that's something that's really important to me is that she feel comfortable in her skin, that she understand that there are as many ways to be a woman, a man, both, neither, whatever it is that you are, as there is to be a person. And I would extrapolate that, even though I'm not as knowledgeable, but I would extrapolate that to race as well, is that there's as many ways to be a black woman, black person, black, as as there is to be a white person or any other range of people. Um, But at the same time, you do need somebody to teach you that that's okay. And I, because I can't teach her how to be a black woman. I can't, I would love to, but I need, I need help and I, you know, definitely do reach out for that and I think I'm going to put in a shameless plug here so uh, September the 5th I'm doing a book discussion on why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria and there's a section in the book where they talk about adoption and especially if you're adopting black children and you're not black and it says don't let your black child be your first black friend mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like yeah, that makes sense <laughs> and that there are those little things of you know what what texture of the, is the hair going to be and how are you going to be able to comb that or not comb that because then that goes into you know what is that child's self-image of themselves um, and, and being able to present that so it, I think it goes beyond you know yes there should be someone close by that looks like them but then also just that however that child looks are they okay with everything or is it kind of like okay no I've got it keep this hair you know pull it back all the time or okay yeah I can have a big afro in it and it's fine to look in that regard and um you know what I'm reminded of when when Sissy was talking and I think also that for any parent black or white I think what matters most is being able to give your children so many different experiences so when I look at some of the role models that I've developed that should have been there early in life because they were out there but just I didn't have access to them, but I'm looking at like, you know, Angela Davis, and I'm reading all these different auto autobiographies, and I'm listening to Kamala's book now, and I'm thinking, the parents gave their children so many different experiences, you know, that they were traveling, they were playing instruments to, to give your child that exposure, and then for you to also get that exposure, um, Sissy's been present at Black Girls Run, <laughs> you know, I was like, hey, come on out, let's, let's do this. Um, so I, I think that that's important as well if uh, we're looking at just kind of raising our children and then the healthier that, and I don't have children, so about the healthier that you are as parents or 
I like to think about it that I'm I don't have children but I'm part of a village and so the healthier that those village members are then the healthier healthier that the, the children will feel and when they feel the warmth of the village they're going to be less likely to burn it down <laughs> in that regard as well yeah um anybody else have any experiences that they've kind of went through in childhood that now they're saying hey you know what that experience gave me this thicker skin and gave me this knowledge that now I'm able to help my child with what they're experiencing I don't know if it's an experience that I was given I would I would more lean towards the lack of um, experience um, so like I know um, growing up a lot of African American children are not financial literate simply because our parents aren't financial literate so I feel like that lack of um, information that I had at an early age allowed me to kind of go out and, and develop that own, my own um, educational structure of how to accumulate that information as well as passing it down to my son. Because I feel that it's very important um, for us to start at an early age and that's something that I did not have. When I think about raising children, and even when I'm doing work with adults, uh, one thing that I do as well, part of my theory, so it's at Lyrian Psychology, and we will look at the past, but we don't look at the past to find fault, but we look at the past to find understanding. And also, when I look at the past, I also tell people that part of going into the past is to be able to be the parents that we wish our parents were, and to be able to... Um, provide that parenting uh, in a way. So I think that raising our children also means for me, okay, raising that younger little Kimberly. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, girl, it's okay to wear Afro. It's okay. You black enough. <laughs> so how do you, how do you get these, these different experiences? So I guess the question is what way are you raising your inner self? Are you raising the, the child within you? Are, are there things that you're doing that, for me, I think uh, my mom withdrew me from, from dance class and didn't sign me back up once when, when the session ended. And in my mid-20s, I was like, the little kid in me wants to go back to ballet class. And so I took her back to ballet class. So are there things that you're finding now that, you know what, I didn't have this in, in childhood for whatever reason, and I'm giving this to myself. So uh, my, I grew up poor. Um, my mother raised myself and my two sisters on her own. Um, and she didn't have any formal education. So she worked at Anthem as a, a claims processor. Um, so she lived paycheck to paycheck and she, she made it work. Um, so my son's experience is completely different. Um, I vowed to never be poor. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to work hard, uh, so I will not. I will not live the life that we lived as a, a child. It was a good childhood, mm -hmm. wasn't bad, but there's just a lot of things we didn't have or we couldn't afford. So my son plays the viola. He swims. He does everything that my mother couldn't afford to do. He has the opportunity to do it. Um, he had. He's actually privileged, and, and a lot of times people don't look at black being black in any way as being privileged. But he's a, a black boy growing up very privileged um, because I have worked so hard to, to have things. Um, so it's just a completely different thing. And then 
I grew up, my mother, uh, we, we were raised in a Pentecostal apostolic household, which was extremely strict, extremely religious, um, and, and we're not that way now. Um, we talk about all religions in my household, and I tell my son, you can either go with religion or not. You, it's whatever you want, um, whatever you're comfortable with, what, what <laughs> makes you feel good as an individual. Um, so it's completely different than how, um, how I was raised. In my household, there was no alcohol, there was no nothing. And I'm like, we are drinking, I'm drinking wine. So <laughs> in front of my son, and it is okay, even though I was taught opposite. Um, so the way he is raised is, is completely opposite than how I was raised. And I think my experience as a single mother is completely different than my mother's experience as a single mother raising three girls versus I'm raising one son. Um, so it's, it's very different. Anyone else? Differences? And um, I think one thing when I'm working with uh, individuals as well is I often tell them to, especially when they're having difficulties with their children, to make sure that they're giving their child what the child needs versus giving them what they need, they, the adult needs. And so I'm saying, okay, wait, this, is that what you wanted as a child or is that what your child wants? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah you know so i'm thinking it's okay that even if you're parenting you know another human being it's okay to still go back and give your younger self you know what you wanted um, we do have you know dreams and aspirations and I, and I say we again i'm not i don't parent anyone but it's such a big age difference between me and my young cousins that in a way i kind of feel like i'm their stepmom or something of that nature and um, so i do feel like in a way that i have had the opportunity to kind of parent them or to be involved in that um what have been um even though i don't like the word challenges but what have been situations that you've experienced or that you've overcome as as parents as, as raising your children yeah what what, what, have, you, what have you what have been your, your biggest successes i would say in raising your children biggest sacrifice is that what you said yeah, like whatever, like, are there things that you felt like you sacrificed? Are there challenges that you've overcome? I would say being a young mom, because I had my two older, older boys, I was young. And then um, once again, having two, I have like my, my kids are from two different fathers. So I had two children younger, and then my two children older. <laughs> so I don't know why. And then I went through a divorce of my, you know, the divorce. Um, so I think that was, and I, and I, that was a challenge, you know, whereas I feel like I started over thinking I was starting over and then I feel like I've had to start over again because I've only been divorced um, six years. So I've been divorced six years. So I feel like I started over again six years ago. Um, so just that was a challenge starting over for like as a young mom and then starting over kind of as a older mom not really older but you know mm -hmm. starting over but I feel like this the older mom was easier <laughs> it was easier to start over and um I think that was that was a challenge but um but uh, I feel like I was a wiser mom the second time around <laughs> okay I feel like I was wiser um I feel like yeah as an adoptive parent, one of the things that, that I struggle with is I 
for the most part, we can kind of, I don't want to say past, but my daughter does look like me quite a bit. And so I'm not quite sure. And, and in the adoption world, they say very clearly, make sure that your child's story is their story, that you're not broadcasting it to the whole world. So I make it a point not to necessarily say, you know, in, in any kind of in any kind of not need to know, not friends and family situation, I don't necessarily broadcast that. Um, but what I do struggle with for sure is, you know, and I want to say to her when she's older, I'll say to her, anybody, you know, you tell people who you want to tell. If you want to say that I gave birth to you, go ahead. I don't care. You know, it's it's maybe not the truth, but if you want it to be true, I, you know, I'm not going to stop you. It's your story. Um, but I do struggle with kind of what to what to say when to her to some degree and what to, you know, cause I, obviously I've been obvious, I've been, I've been honest with her since she was born. I mean, she doesn't still understand the difference between me and her birth mom and you know, that yet. Cause she just doesn't, you know, I'm mommy and that's all she cares about right now. But, um, you know, all the adoptees say, make it a point that you don't make it a big story. You know, how, how does it not become a big story? It's not a moment that you mention it. It's not a, you know, it has to be an ongoing conversation like most things. Um, and frankly, I didn't expect, one thing I didn't expect about adoption was that her, her mother chose, her birth mom chose a closed adoption, which means I've never met her. Um, and she chose not to even engage in writing letters or anything like that. Um, but I found that emotionally it's really hard for me for that to happen I want to meet her I'm so curious about her and I am I am dying to meet her I would love to meet her and you know whenever and I have to very carefully kind of keep that feeling of my own from imp imposing it on her on my daughter and if that makes sense yeah. I you know I I I make it a point to when I mention her, it's kind of a light, it's kind of a you know a playful kind of mention, um, but I don't want her to think, you know, oh mom, mom wants me to feel this way about my birth mom, mom wants me to feel that way about it, um, because you know I don't want to put my, I don't know my my feelings about her, you know, on my daughter, because um, obviously her feelings are her own, and you know. And one thing we've definitely struggled with too is if when it when it comes out people like at church etc that she I mean some people know that she's adopted because some people were there with me all the whole way but when people will say oh I didn't realize she's adopted I thought she was yours and you know it's that little bit there's little bits of, of language right. that people don't think too much of and I always shut that down I say she is mine she's my family you know because I, I don't ever want her again I I, I don't I know that I have to, to some degree, manage her understanding, but I don't want her to feel like, you know, mom ever felt that I was not part of her family. You know, so we kind of have different challenges than many people because we have kind of a whole other, a whole other family that exists, but isn't in our lives for her. So we have to kind of figure out exactly how we manage that. And we still, you know, obviously we're still learning because she's young and she hasn't really even reached an understanding that of, of who exists in the world she hasn't asked me about you know um she hasn't she hasn't quite figured out exactly about how most families happen so she hasn't figured out how our family is different yet so that's something i'm struggling with is how do i introduce that to her how do i keep it 
oh, how do I keep those lines of communication open? And how do I not impose my own feelings about it on her? So it's complicated. <laughs> well, well, thank you because, and I think that it is. And that's one question that, you know, that I had sent to all of you is about how, do you, how is your family unique? And, you know, as I mentioned to you all here before we start recording is that part of this, this conversation that I wanted to have was so that everybody could get an opportunity to see that or to hear that there are different situations and within these different situations, there's, there's commonality and that we're not alone. And so when I heard, you know, Sissy speaking and uh, Sarah, when I heard you talking, you know, things that came up for me, uh, Sissy, you talked about, you know, you had your kids when you you know, one part when you were young, one part when you were older, and I have sisters, and we have the same father, but we have, we have different mothers, and my mom was 16 when she had me, and their mom, I think, was maybe past her 30s, and so I see the difference, and, you know, I love my mom, we, we did what we did, you know, but sometimes I'm like, I wish my mom would have been an adult when she had me, <laughs> so, you know, I think that that's, so I, and as I think that's something to look at when you're either when you're a parent or when you're that child to consider oh, where was my parent when they had me because for you know um, a large part of my life it was like struggle difficulty not understanding and then my oldest cousin she was born when I was 16 and as I watched her grow up I kept thinking oh my god like my mom was only so and so when I was 20 she was only so and so when I was this and that made like a big difference for me to be like oh okay now I understand and and Sarah when you were talking about the story and, and what's her story and that made me think about just different relationships I and mean, I think when we're looking at raising the village and a lot of times it's fortunate when if there's been a separation if there's been a divorce or maybe if the parents never even were together for both parents to speak lovingly caringly of the parent because the parents like that's a reflection of the combination of who the child is and you know I didn't meet my biological father until I was well into my 40s and you know, through all my, all my life, there had been something that I thought was kind of missing. Like, this, you know, where, where is this? And some people were saying, oh, well, maybe he's just this, this guy or that guy. And so I was so appreciative of my mother for really being neutral about it. You know, so it wasn't this, oh, this bad guy here, this bad guy there. And so then when he came into my life, it was great. And so part of that, that story and looking at how people define people, my grandmother, <clears throat> We were, my uncles and my aunt, they were brother and sister. And so my sisters are my sisters, my brothers are my brothers. There's not this, oh, that's my half brother. That, that's a whole person. <laughs> that's my brother, that's my sister, right? And again, we get to define. Do we wanna say, oh yeah, well, we don't go in and say, yeah, we're sisters, but you know, their mom is this and their dad is this, and oh yeah, this and this and that. So I think that it is important that when and again it's this collective we that when we're raising the village to let each person to have their story um, and to not say okay it has to be this way or to tell that child your your mom is this or your dad is this but to have them 
be able to tell their story and whatever your family looks like for the family to be able to, to say what that family is versus letting someone else explain that. Um, and I did want to go back a little bit, a note that I wrote down, and this is really looking at raising children. And I think that, you know, we do want to make sure that children have this sense of who they are as individuals and they want to be strong and confident and to stand in their own light and stand in who they are. A challenge is school. You know, and so see, I'm, I'm thinking about, about your daughter and just that school represents these boundaries and there's so many walls that it's like this closed world. And I think if, if I were to tell my younger self something, it would be that, you know, these school walls, I know they're hard, I know they're rough, <laughs> but they're members of the village that are outside of, of these walls that are going to be helpful for you, for me to give myself maybe more role models that were the way I consider myself introverted, maybe nerdy people. Like, hey, this look at this person, it's okay. And and then to know that when school is over, so many doors are gonna open, meaning so many parts of the world are gonna open that you won't be uh, confined to these mean girls. <laughs> right because they're in this little section because of where they live or how school is busing or not busing but it's this forced environment and that I think for anybody you know be it your daughter anybody raising teenagers adolescents that as we mature those environments are going to be less forced and that kids are going to have uh, the opportunity to have choices and to engage in those choices as well uh, we are getting close to the end of time, and so again, I wanted to thank you all for taking your time out um, to be here today, and I hope that this was beneficial for you as well. And before I leave, so my last question for everyone, and you do all have to say something. So part of tea and therapy is to teach, empower, and to advocate. And I want you to think about in what way be it for your children, yourself, or people that are listening. What do you teach? What do you hope that you've taught in this last hour? How do you teach your children? How do you empower your children? How do you hope that this has empowered other people? And how do you advocate for your children? Uh, what's your sense of advocacy as you think about raising our children? Whoever would like to comment on tea, uh, I'll let you all go. And you can't give me too much dead air time. <laughs> okay, I'll go because I talk all the time. <laughs> um, so I am actually trying to teach my son how to advocate for himself. Um, he is 13. And just the other day, we had an example where he two of his assignments didn't get collected by the teacher. He sent them, but she didn't get them. And I'm like, do you have to use your voice and advocate for yourself? You need to reach out to your teacher. You need to be able to speak up. Um, so I'm, I'm teaching him how to be able to use his voice. Um, he's only 13, I know, but I want him to learn now. So when he becomes an adult, he'll be able to, uh, to advocate for himself um, when I'm not around. Um, it is so easy um, for me to speak up for him 
uh, for me to take up for him, for me to be the mama bear. I have a story in mind that I want to be his, you know? <laughs> like you you all were saying that everybody has to have their own story. I have a story for him, but he really <laughs> does have to have his own story and has to be able to use his own voice to tell his story. Um, so right now that's that's my big thing is, is trying to teach him how to be strong and be an individual and be able to speak up and advocate for himself that he does have a voice um, and that he needs to know how to use his voice. Piggyback off of that, um, I'm also trying to teach my son how largely to be um, responsible, how to be more accountable for his actions and for him um, not to follow, you know, the large crowd of large masses of other people. Try to um, make sure that he has his own identity and his own definition of what it means to be him and not necessarily trying to fit in with everybody else and trying to get along with um, whoever is going to accept him. I want him to be a leader and to be able to create his own environment to which he's able to develop and be um, prosperous and to be an influence, a positive influence on other people as well. Well, as my as my daughter is only three, um, we're, we're dealing with that in kind of a, a different on a different level, um, one of the things that I'm very clear about right now is teaching her advocacy through consent. And she has learning that lesson real well. She, um, we've worked on that since she was really tiny, but I made it a point that nobody picks her up without her consent, period. Nobody tickles her without her consent. Nobody, you know, nobody touches her without consent. And she's learned that lesson to the extent that when she was, I think, 12 months old or so, someone at church was like, oh, look, she's looking so cute today and scooped her up and she straight armed them and gave them the dirtiest look. And I was like, that is my girl. <laughs> that sounds like my son. That sounds like my three-year-old. He will definitely not let you touch him if he does not want to be touched. He doesn't want to be held. And he will let you know that he disapproves of anything that you try to do to him. Good for him. Yeah, she's. we're still working on that. Um, in the opposite, however, because many times she, she wants to touch my face and she'll put her fingers in my eyes and her fingers in my mouth. And I've said to her, I don't consent to that. And, you yeah. know, so we're working, we're working on that. Um, but that I, I feel like I, you know, I could be wrong, but I feel like that's the beginning of self-advocacy for saying, I want this. I don't want that, you know, in the most basic sense and just, and, you know, little kids of course can understand. I don't want to be touched right now. Yeah. And, you know, to, and that I feel like that's the first step to saying, when you're older, you'll start saying, I don't like it when you talk to me like that. I don't like it when you this, that, or the other thing. It seems to me that there's a direct line between a small child being forced to be picked up, a small child being forced to be tickled, interacted with in any way they don't choose. There's a direct line from that to being um, disrespected in your job being disrespected by a partner, being, you know, any number of things that, that require that. So that's that's definitely something that we're strongly working on, even though it's only in a very preschool sense. Sure. I think that's awesome, by the way. I wish somebody would have taught me those things. Exactly. That's, that's, that's why when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. When I was a little kid, I was told, yes, you have to hug grandma. Yes, you mm -hmm. have to. And that made me later realize I don't have a lot of of agency in what happens to my body and then i had to fight for that to happen you know i had to fight for for, for my right to be able to be treated appropriately and i don't want her to have to fight those same battles at least not the same way i did i would say that i'm trying to work um, 
always work with communication to make sure that I'm able to get communication lines back and forth with my um, with all of my kids, even when they're old, you know, my older kids, and um, teach them to com communicate with me. Feel like that they can talk to me as well as I, you know, and um, I want to build confidence in all of them, mm -hmm. especially my daughter. I want her to be a confident woman. Um, I also want them to be um, compassionate, which I feel like that all my kids, you know, have are kind and compassionate. I want them to be kind human beings. I don't want them to grow up. <laughs> and I believe they are, all are. I feel like my kids are all very kind. I get compliments uh, um, quite often of how that I've raised good human beings. Um, so I try to teach, you know, that. Um, and of course, to be, um, you know, to be responsible and take responsibility for your errors, you know, for when you do, when you do something wrong to do you have to take responsibility for that so those are the, the things that I hopefully teach my children so cool thank you I, I was going to let you all be the last ones to speak but you all reminded me when my cousin was very little and I would teach them about choice and what choice I have with other people and my grandmother sometimes would say oh you make me so mad you're making me this you're making me that and I tell my cousins I'm like no they're not like they're choosing to be that way <laughs> And my grandmother said something once to me, like, oh, you, you get on my nerves or you're making me angry or something. And my little cousin put her hand on her hip. No, I don't, Granny. You choose to be that way. And I said, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I might have taught you too well, right? Um, but I do think it's important to give that, you know, give children that sense of agency. And so not have them get into the sense that they're, someone's forcing something on them, be it someone's forcing them to behave a certain way or you know, take on responsibility that's not there. Um, so again, I do want to thank you all for, for coming today and giving me your, your time as well. Some things that are happening this month that are related to uh, this topic, Raising Our Children, Saturday the 22nd, uh, this will be uh, online at 9 a.m. And I will send, put links in the podcast, um, having a discussion about raising our children, focusing on the four crucial C's, which are helping your child to count, capable, connected, encouraged. So looking at uh, that in regards to children's behavior, a little bit more maybe on information of how do you help children that are experiencing anxiety during this time and how to talk about issues of race. On September the 5th, a continuing discussion about children and race. I'm also doing a book discussion on uh, Dr. Tatum's Why Are the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria and other conversations on race. So I will include those in links on my podcast. And then, of course, you all are welcome to attend uh, any of those as well and to also speak on this. So I do, again, I want to thank you all for presenting. I hope this has been an enjoyable time for you. And I want to thank my listeners out there for listening. And if anybody has any questions at all, please feel free to contact me. And I will see you all when I get you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any information presented on this podcast is designed for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you are currently working with a psychologist or other mental health professional, please consult your provider before making any changes based on any information presented during this podcast.